Coming to you live from Browns headquarters in Berea, Ohio, this is Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Brought to you by Jack, the official entertainment partner of the Cleveland Browns. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. of Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by Jack, the official entertainment partner of your Cleveland Browns. I am merely Bo Bishop. He is the Z, which stands for Zagora. How are you, brother? Dude, I'm good, but how are you? It's your birthday. It's your day. It's your celebration. Everybody oh. here gathered around to sing the praises <laughs> of Bo Bishop, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't know what a Bo Bishop is by now, you what should. Is? A fine, fine man. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah, we was, uh, the actual birthday was yesterday, and the, the, the wife did some amazing stuff, and uh it, the, I'll tell you what, as a dad, you know this, like the the most amazing things are what your children write about you and that the cards that they make to you. Oh, yeah. Those will just cut you at the oh, knees absolutely. to the ground. So that was, that was awesome. Um, so we did that. Um, my wife, the blonde, did a fantastic job. She made a, a dessert that my mom um, made for me when I was a kid, and she followed my mom's recipe. So that was awesome. And, what is the uh, dessert? It's a it's called a yum yum dessert. It, so it's a um, it's a walnut butter um, flour crust, and then it's a cream cheese powdered sugar Cool Whip second layer, and then it's a chocolate pudding third layer, and then it's a Cool Whip and uh, and walnut top, and okay. it's spectacular. It's just yes. spectacular. My mom made it for me all the time when I was a kid, so my wife surprised me and did that meal. Uh, did that dessert yesterday, and then we did a roasted chicken, so it was a, it was a wonderful time, man. I mean, home with the fam. We had a, a relatively decent day after... Uh, did you get hail on Saturday, by the way? No, but we got crazy, obviously crazy rain, crazy wind, and like the little pond or lake, as I like to call it, outside of our house was... I mean, it was up six feet higher than I'd ever seen it at yeah. any point. Fortunately, not yeah, in the we house, had, obviously, but it was it was wild. Flooding throughout a lot throughout the area on Saturday. So I haven't driven La Flama Blanca since, you know, not much other than like to a grocery store once since we've been in this current situation we're in. So I thought to myself, it was raining hard and my car still had like salt and stuff on it, you know. And yep. I said, you know what, I'm just going to pull it out and let nature give it a little bath is what yeah. we're going to do. So in the meantime, uh, I'm cooking breakfast for the boys on Saturday and I start to hear this and I'm going – Oh, wow. Is that hail? And, and my wife goes, oh, my God, your car. Oh, God. And I went, oh, oh, no. <laughs> I sprinted. Like, I lost years off my life. I sprinted outside of my bare feet. I got in and I pulled it in. The hail wasn't hard enough to do any damage, thank goodness. But thank I can goodness. tell you that about five years off my life went were gone uh, in about five seconds right there. I'm not getting them back, brother. No, you're not going to get those back. But I'm glad. I'm. I'm just happy everything is okay. I, I was concerned yeah. about it. you. Don't want to have a chip on La Flama Blanca. No, we can't have that. We can't have no. that. Not this early in its tenure. It's just getting yeah. warmed up. It's a baby. We can't have that. Um, the uh, uh, a couple other things to. Oh, by the way, happy birthday to AB today. Andrew Barry's birthday yes. today. That's right. So our, how about that, general manager? It's, I mean, you think about the powerhouse of of Kayla Friday, you yesterday, yeah. AB today. How about I mean, that? That is just what a what a that's like Amen Corner right there. It really is a lot of luminaries there. Yeah. Um, as uh, speaking of Amen Corners, get into the Ohio Business Machine preferred copy provider, the Cleveland Browns, of all the X's and O's for your office. Call two one six four eight five two thousand or visit ohiobusinessmachines.com. Was this Friday or Thursday last week where we discussed the golf? It was last week we spoke it into existence. It was Friday. Right. I think it was, it was Friday. A Friday. Yeah. Okay. So Thursday night, 
uh, a Twitter follower tweeted me about an idea of a pay-per-play, pay-per-view golf match between Phil and Tiger or Rory and whoever. It'd be like the run in the back. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so I said, I go, not out of my for this. The amendments I would make is let's play at exclusive clubs. I like uh, that. Places we, we otherwise couldn't see. And let's make it free for everybody. And let's find some way to get some proceeds to charity. So somebody who follows us, you and I had this discussion on Friday. And, of course, we're for it. Like, what are we hard of being for things that are awesome? Of course, of course we're going to do this. Um, so uh, somebody who follows us on Twitter then tweeted directly at Phil and Tiger. And Phil Mickelson responded. Yeah, and said working on it. Yeah, and then somebody said you're joking. He said I'm a sure thing. I don't joke around. I'm a sure thing. I love Phil. How great is that? Oh, it's going to be great. It's kind of our. It's kind of the only sport Z that you could play. I was thinking about it. You probably couldn't play it at those exclusive clubs that I thought because they probably don't have the broadcast infrastructure to be able to do it. Already, most places that host tournaments have broadcast facilities um, yep. on 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 property there on, on site, premises. Yeah. So, like, if you're, you know, like Mirfield, for example, is set up and ready to go. They have all of the tech that they would need to be able to run live, and it's there. It never moves. Um, so you'd have to probably go at existing courses. But, like, I'd be into a Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Mirfield Village one-on-one. Sign me Give up. Give me anything anywhere. I don't even care if it's two guys that are just doing it on, recording it on, you know, like handheld cameras. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I'm not here for production value. I'm here for sport that I have not seen previously. Yeah. That's it. That's my that's my barometer. That's my bar right now. Yesterday they ran and it was great to watch it. Nineteen ninety seven Arizona Wildcats, Kentucky uh, Wildcats in the in, in the NCAA finals. Yeah. They ran that at one thirty on CBS. That was a real treat. But I want to see something I, sports I haven't seen before. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and as I don't we, need production um, values. I just need sports. Yeah, I think all you would need from the golf thing is you need two guys. You put them in carts. So they don't need caddies. Yeah. So you take you take two guys. You take the two players, you get one play-by-play guy. I think you need a Nance or somebody like that. Then you need a Faraday, and you'd have a mic'd, and they need or you to have earpieces. you have mic'd up like they were last time. I yeah, but I think, you, I think it got a little dry. I think it got – I think you need a – I think you need a Faraday or a McCord or somebody like that to kind of give a little context Fill to what's air. going on and yeah. kind of play it along with them. I think that would help. Yeah. And then you need probably three camera people, a producer, and a master control. Um, that's it. I mean, I think you could do it for under 15 people, probably under 10. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, we're all about keep it safe. Let's go. Yeah, it's it's probably the only sport that you could do that with would be golf. It's the most viable. It's the least contact. It's it's the one that you that ought to be able to. Uh, and I'm sure that's probably why they're they're one of the only ones who hasn't canceled deep into. The, they still haven't even canceled the full May slate. Uh, I know the Memorial Tournament down in Columbus is still hasn't been canceled yet. I mean, I feel like it will be, but I think they're trying to find any way to keep it going. Um, right. They're, they're they're kind of the one sport that could get away with this. Now they'd have to do it without crowds, but they could still host some of these events pretty easily. I would think it's the they one where you can have the most social distance. For sure, they what they also need to be able to figure out is how. The only area I was trying to think that where you would ever have, you know, mutual touching of the same area is get retrieving the ball from the hole, right? Yeah. So I just think what they need to put in each hole for this event is I thought about this. Because, you know, at the bottom of the hole where the flag stick goes, there's, mm-hmm. the, there's you know, you'd have to modify yeah. your pin a little bit. But shorten it down and have it, like, fit into something that just boop, pops the ball straight up in the air and they can just catch it. Oh, that's pretty good. 
Because then like, you don't have like to put your hand like, on the hole. Yeah. You never have to put nobody's nobody's stuff is in the same spot. Just boop, and then you catch it. Yeah, there you go. I like that. That that's would be a simple way of doing that. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, yeah. yeah I when like you're it. on the and green, it, you know they work, they clean their ball on the green, but you'll clean the ball on the green also with like a little bit of a disinfectant, so it goes into the hole. It's going in. It's going in fresh. Well, there you go. That, that sounds this. like a win. And speaking yeah. of golf, the Ohio Department of Health changed its decision over the yeah, weekend will allow golf courses to stay open as long as the institute increased safety measures during the coronavirus pandemic. It's a complete reversal from a ruling Friday night. Now, I didn't see this. Gibby did. I'm sure you probably did as well. I oh, missed yeah. it. Complete reversal from a ruling Friday that golf courses weren't essential business, therefore not exempt from Governor Mike DeWine's stay-at-home order. So they changed this. This seems like common sense to me. Now, with the amount of rain that we've gotten in the last three weeks, you're not going to play anywhere for – three weeks anyway but um it's good to know that it's at least open to be able to do this yeah so one i'll give you guys a little home remedy from my mom who has been in the medical field for a long 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 time and this is something that when i go if i ever have to leave the house i go and this comes with me so i'll have a bottle a spray bottle uh, you do one part bleach and 10 parts water and then that will kill anything and so if you have to go on the golf course see i'm i'm thinking i'm gonna walk but if I have with my bottle, I can spray the entire golf cart down in two seconds of everywhere that my body would touch or my hands would touch, and then I'm good to go. Wow, one, that's what, pretty what, good. One word of warning with this, though, is you use it around your house, you know, to clean and this, that, whatever, because right now everybody knows unless you were stocked up on 409 and Lysol cleaners, they're gone. Then you're, yep. you're not, you can't get them. So this is a home remedy for that. But just make sure you use your lighter colored dish towels. little word from the wise there. Trust there you me. go. I know Otherwise, you're going to get some spotting. Oh, I've turned a couple black dish towels into some. They have some <laughs> red areas and 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 whatnot. But you know what? We're clean. We're safe. We're we're doing what we can. We are. We are. How did you do? Did you do all right this weekend on the social distancing? Everything okay? Go okay? Perfect social distancing weekend. It was great. Had the kids. We did the uh, the first ever ZWO Olympics. So uh, that's fantastic. Bryce and I wore our Croatian soccer jerseys. Day one was was team competitions, and it was. Uh, the, the Croatians against the pink power of Miss K and Art Andrea. And so we had opening ceremonies and we played the Olympic theme and everybody did their entrance. Oh, that's and then awesome. We engaged in a series of five events and it came down to a eight ball and Bryce caught fire at the right time and the boys prevailed. And then on Sunday, we continued where everybody had their own. It was all solo games. We brought out Battleship. Haven't played Battleship in a long time. What a great game oh, that was. We had a, a, so a ton of fun. And uh, it was great. Yeah, we did. We did all that. And then we were we got through um, the Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers from the Lord of the Rings, which my kids are way more into than I thought they would be. And, and Kayla, who had seen them a long time ago, and didn't like them. And now after watching Game of Thrones, loved them. And, and I got to tell you, there are a lot of not homages, obviously, look, J.R.R. Tolkien. And, and those are the masterworks of that genre and considered, mm-hmm. you know, some of the best books ever written. Um, but there are a lot of homages in Game of Thrones just in the way stuff shot. I mean, especially after watching yeah. Helm's Deep, like it's so many. Right. And, and Kayla was really – she was digging that. Yeah. I, I remember those being quite incredible, extraordinary. Oh, my God. Breathtaking. Yeah. I mean, and that's a long t- – yeah. those are a long time ago. Are they – what are they like? Are they like 20 years old or 15 years old? I was going to say – I'm going to say at least 15. Let's see when Lord of the Rings came out. And then, then the three that they made after The Hobbits were not as good because it wasn't Peter Jackson. No. Um, right. But – they're, I mean, they're still fine, but the originals yeah. are really. And I will, I will say this: my initial hate for Frodo and Samwise Gamgee this time around, they're not as bad as I remember. Okay, I remember that really dragging, but again, it's been a long time. It it moves better, and what we've done because they're three-hour movies, we've broken them up into ninety per night. 
Okay. Which I think has been helpful. And there are natural stops in each of the first two movies. Okay. I don't know right about that 90-minute mark. Yeah, so the first one, Fellowship of the Ring, was 2001, man. Wow. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Almost two decades. That's yeah. crazy. That and seems it like is, yesterday. It really, they are really, they are spectacular, and they hold up. And, I mean, you think of the technology for Gollum. I mean, yeah. that was 2001. I mean, that is some serious stuff that they did with Gollum. Yeah, yeah. No, that's yep. pretty good. Very good, sir. Oh, uh, those great. That's your uh, OBM Hot Topics, Ohio Business Sheet, preferred <laughs> yeah. copy of Provider. Well, it's just a look at our lives. Welcome, and welcome to our yeah. lives. Well, this is where we're topics. at, brother. We have <laughs> all the X's and O's for your office. Call 216-485-2000 or visit ohiobusinessmachines.com. We will get into some football. There is some news on the front, including um, some ideas the NFL may have or may have to consider when it comes to how we play football. So we'll get into uh, all of that. Do a lot of uh, a lot of fun football stuff where you start to break down the roster. We get into the tight end position. Luke Easterling uh, is going to join us. He does the draft wire at USA Today, and he was um, apparently bit by a tiger at one of the Tiger Guy Nemesis's places. Oh, at so Baskins. We get, yeah, we'll go to get into that with him. Um, and so lots to get to on, on the program. Good, good fun ahead, kids. Off and running on a Monday. Cleveland Browns Daily eight fifty ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Friends, I want to tell you about my friend Alex from Northeast Factory Direct. Started this thing out of his basement 20 years ago. Helping people save a lot of money on high-quality name-brand furniture. Also added top-notch kitchen cabinets, countertops to do that, industry-leading hot tubs and more. He's so confident that his model, which allowed him to offer the lowest prices for years, that he's now offering a one-year best price guarantee. That's right. Been saying Northeast's prices can't be beat. Now it's guaranteed. If you buy furniture from Northeast within one year, you find it advertised for less. Alex is going to refund you the difference. It's no gimmick. There are some terms and conditions. You want to ask Northeast Factory Direct for details. You can find the policy at northeastfactorydirect.com. When we get back to normal, go visit those stores. West 140th Street in Cleveland, Lakeland Boulevard in Euclid, or Freeway Drive in Macedonia, and online anytime at northeastfactorydirect.com. Uh, let's go around the league presented by Jack, and let's start from our good buddy Dan Graziano, ESPN. Owners expected to vote this week to expand playoffs to 14 teams beginning this season. Slated to happen tomorrow. I, I, this is what I assumed would happen, Z, when this CBA got approved, that they would get to 14 as quickly as they can. I, I don't know if – do you know if they're going to go to a 17-game season right away or just get to 14 in the playoffs right away? No, the 17, the extra games can't happen until 2021 at the earliest. Okay, so, okay. But this, this can happen. So I, I think we're, we'll see, you know, ultimately what happens. But I think it's, an, it's assumed that it is going to 14 games. That's my assumption anyway. Yeah, and I wouldn't see any scenario why, yeah, that they would just move it to 14 and away we go. Um, which brings us to um, this from Pro Football Talk about what NFL could look like. Um, in terms of playing in sterile uh, facilities would be the way to do it. Not just empty stadiums, but sterile facilities would be the way to do it. Apparently, reportedly, the Premier League is considering this approach as a way to finish their season, um, and the NFL probably ought to be considering it well as well. One possibility would be to find a place literally in the middle of nowhere, build enough fields to play various games on Sunday and enough ro- uh, rooms for houses, players, coaches, broadcasters for 17 weeks of football and four weeks of postseason. Another way would be to add a football facility at the Greenbrier, which has 710 rooms and I think already has it with, uh, with the Saints. 
They do. They did their uh, preseason there, didn't they? they? They used to do. Yeah, they did their training camp there. Uh huh. Yeah, I. I and it's um, a very isolated place. Heck, that's where they're they're going to go if there was you know nuclear. That's where they were going to move Congress if there was a nuclear attack. Yeah, they have like a war bunker there, don't they? They do indeed. Yeah. Jerry West Steakhouse there as well. The uh, also yes, Zeke from Cabin Creek. Now. Yes. Um. Let me ask you this: Can you see any scenario? Where, based on what we know now, we know we're going to be in lockdown through April. And we're adults here, so we can have adult conversations that are going to be, at times, maybe a little bit tough to handle and a little bit depressing. But let's have them because we're adults. Can you see any scenario where we're playing football in front of fans in September without a cure? In front of fans, no. Yeah. In Playing games in September, absolutely. In front yeah. of fans, no. And I would have to think the international series would be in significant jeopardy and the Browns are a candidate to potentially play a game in London this year. I think right. that games in London would have to be in serious jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right. I think it's, I think it's, I think you'll do everything in your power to play games. Um, I think that of all of the games that are going to be hardest to get back to normal football is of course the most because it's the biggest crowds. It's the biggest staff. It's the biggest personnel. It's the biggest of all of it. Uh, college football would be the most extreme where you have 200,000 people around Ohio Stadium on a Saturday, 250,000, 105,000 in the place. And in college, you're talking about 125 people on the sidelines for the home team. NFL is much smaller than that, but it's still a ton of people. Um, and in, in, in comparison to the other sports, the other team sports in this country, the numbers are just so much greater in terms of person-to-person interaction in football. Um, I'm with you. I, it's hard for me to envision a scenario where, where we're playing games in front of fans in September. Uh, just my opinion on it, just based on what where this is going and what we where we are right now at the end of March and where you think you're going to be based on all the medical project, projections by the time you get to May. Yeah, I think, uh, again, with fans, it could be difficult. I think, although science is what we're counting on, right? The thing that helps me sleep well at night every night is that we have the smartest people in the world working around the clock on tests, vaccines, all of that for this. So they're putting everything they've got around the world towards this. Uh, You're getting better and better news as it relates to testing uh, every day. Uh, In fact, I received an email from uh, one of my buddies who's very much following this. He's kind of my Corona News Network, my own CNN uh, and it's from Life Science Bioproduction Diagnostics uh, Journal. On Friday, the FDA approved a rapid COVID-19 test that can get results available in five minutes, and it's easy to mass produce. So you, that's one of the things. Um, that's one of the things that you can. That's one aspect of it. But the key is going to be able to the vaccine and to prevent the continued spread of it, or something that if you get it, you take it, and it, it nullifies the impact of it. So. I do believe we have a long way to go. I think we've come yeah. pretty far considering how this kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, from, you know, March 11th, I'll say till here, you know, which is basically what, about three weeks. Um, we'll be roughly this Wednesday will be three weeks from that. We've come a long way already. So I, I have hope that by the summer we will be well advanced from a science and medical standpoint, which will then change potentially the – you know, the narrative going forward. I think that when I, I don't see any way that people who are 
able and, and, and fortunate enough to be able to work from home during this time. Their offices are closed, but they're still able to keep working, uh, which I certainly hope is people who are able to do that very, very fortunate like we are. Um, I, I don't see any way that people are back in offices, you know, prior to August. But yeah. I do think if we we might be able to get someplace where they're able to put out content by what I mean by that is football games, sporting events, but crowds, that's going to be you're going to have to have a vaccine if you want crowds, period. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's 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 kind of where I am on this thing as well, that that's that's what needs to happen. And like you said, we had um, the test, the five minute test that was developed out of Abbott, which is an Ohio company. Yep. And then uh, Battelle on Sunday, uh, Mike DeWine went you know, public, frankly, and put everybody on blast about how they weren't allowing them to produce enough uh, the sterilization for the masks. Um, Battelle, which is another corporation out of Columbus, and by the end of the day, that was approved. They were only allowing them to make 10,000 of them a, a, a day, and they could do 160,000. Um, so that was allowed by the end of the week. So so things – and I saw the FDA, Yahoo News, to, this morning, the FDA has approved a malaria drug that has shown to have some effects, so that's whipping into – you're right, man. We're banking on science. It's, it's it. We need science to save us. We need science to save us, and that's something that I can I can feel pretty good about. Yeah. Like I believe, I believe that science will be able to get this done. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's what gives me comfort. Yeah. Yeah. And it has to, I, I think you, you hit on it too, though. And, and I'm not, the only reason we're, we are talking about this is because a lot of people are, you know, that professional sports leagues and college football, I mean, there's been a model floating around about college football in the last three or four days about starting their season in July to play like July, August, September to keep it out of the colder months that thinking that that would be helpful. And I, my guess is, is the NFL is having these conversations too of, of what would theoretically be the best way to do this. You're working on about a thousand contingency plans right now. I know the NBA and having spoken to people in the NHL. I know the NHL is working on contingency plans in terms of what this could look like. Everybody wants to play the games. Yep. They all want to play them, even if it's modified. Uh, they want to play those games. And so um, that's I think you're going to get every best effort you can to do it. And frankly, I think as a society, we need the games. I think yep. you need the distraction. Um, yep. You know, you're, there's only so much of this stuff that you're going to do. And if we're in this for a long haul, and I think that we probably are, um, then this distraction would be nice and it would be good. It would be welcome. So, I, you know, you, you do everything that you can. And we preface all of this with it, what we know now. You know, I've, I've tended one thing I've tried not to do at all is really get into the negatives of this because it's so far out to even project. Well, when you talk about football, it's hard to even imagine that far down the line. To your point, if you think about I'll, I'll never forget this. We were skiing with the boys at Boston Mills and it was the day that Kobe passed. Um, and my father-in-law texted me. He's like, we, you need to go get some masks like this is this is coming. That was January. Wow. So the idea of where that was. To where we are now and where we're going to be, who knows? Uh, but I'm with you. Science is science can save us, and and we're banking on it saving us. And we've had it's been a good couple of days on this front, and what's been a pretty surreal situation to say the least. Like uh, a couple of free agent things of, from real quickly. Michael Brockers back to the Rams, as we mentioned. The Ravens beef up their D line anyway. They get Derek Wolf there. So Still none of the player. three. Yeah, yeah. None of the three number one overall picks have signed, and I have not seen smoke. No smoke on Cam, no smoke on Winston, no smoke on, on um, Clowney. I haven't seen. Have you seen any smoke on any of them? Nope, no smoke. What I have seen, though, is that, you know, Jameis working out very, very hard, looks great to me, and ready for our fictitious franchise to welcome him in and use our <laughs> three number ones instead of having to use one on a quarterback. <laughs> there you go right there. There you go right there, yeah. Yeah, you think about that with Miami. If 
Miami of wanted course. to do, like if you're Flores or if Cam's healthy and you could, you know, take a flyer on Cam at age 30 and then draft three first-round picks to play along with them, and they were competitive last year uh, with the roster that they had. Um, that, that's pretty interesting. There, there are a couple of teams that it that doesn't seem like they have any interest in improving at quarterback. The Patriots seem to be one. Clearly. And, and it's clearly the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like, they actually have the best tank situation of all time because they have Minshew, who the crowd, who the fans down there loves, but who's limited from a talent standpoint. So that buys them like half the season of just people loving Minshew and looking the other way on it. Jacksonville's really in good position to do this. They are. They're, they're in a great position to do it, and it's – that's what they're going for it's yeah there are a lot of people who it's funny and i've started to hear about this from other people who say you know they just need to put the lottery back into put lottery they into should. the nfl to so that they you prevent this should. yes yeah they should it, I, I think i brought that up i think we talked about this friday on the show like there needs to be, especially just every year just just because this is where we're headed is more and more teams are going to do this there'll be more super quarterback prospects that come out and just have it a situation where the you know the f- five worst teams or six worst teams they all go in a lottery um to determine who gets number one overall because you can't have can, this it's can i good. say this though it yeah. needs to be done on camera on television because I have seen too many things happen in the NBA's lottery that leads me to believe it is not legitimate, and it needs to be legitimate. I agree. There are too many just coincidences in the history of the NBA lottery for me to just write off as coincidences. Oh, my gosh. Ewing, LeBron. Yes, yes. Name a few. Zion Williamson the year after they lose. uh, AD. AD, yeah. Yeah. It needs to be done right there on camera with somebody who is completely independent and unaffiliated with the league. Like yeah. just some, somebody who comes in and would have no idea that it, because it matters too much and it changes way too much. Now, of course, it changes a ton in, in basketball. You get LeBron James and obviously you're relevant. You get Zion, you're relevant. You get Patrick Ewing, Ewing and the Knicks are relevant, but <laughs> right. you've got, you can't have you. It, it, I don't trust NBA's lottery. I'll just say, I, I don't trust it. I don't and, either. And, and I would need to trust the NFL's lottery if they were going to do it. And I would probably limit it to eight teams, the bottom quartile of the NFL. I wouldn't go all the way out into anybody who didn't make the playoffs or, you know, up into yeah. the teens. I, I think it would have to – or even down to five. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's got to be a small number. I agree. I don't have a problem with any of that. I also don't have a problem when Luke Easterling joins us. He will join us coming up next. He does the draft wire at USA Today. He's got a four-round mock out. We will get into that. And apparently he was bit – by one of Carol Baskin's Tigers. Unbelievable. We get into that coming up next. CBD 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, welcome back into Cleveland Browns Daily. Bo Bishop, Nathan Zagura with you on a Monday. Headed on the hotline, our buddy Luke Easterling joining us. He does the draft wire at USA Today. Covers... Tampa Bay for SI as well. So lots to get into here with Luke. But uh, we have to start with th- this this story that you can neither confirm nor deny, sir, uh, that you got bit by a tiger at Carol Baskin's place of Tiger King fame. Is there truth to this? There is, man. Um, that uh, Big Cat Rescue is about 10 minutes from my house here. I'm born and raised in Tampa. So um, I was probably... 10 or 11 at the time and my my older brother actually jeff he was a big huge big cat guy so he was into tigers and all that and once we found out that we kind of had this um this kind of 
sanctuary in our backyard, basically, that we didn't really know about. Back then, it was called Wildlife on Easy Street, which if you watch the documentary, they, they kind of get into the history of that place, and you see you see that sign. That's how I remembered it as a kid. So he, he was really into big cats, and we got to go there once, and I think he knew somebody that, that worked there um, that kind of got us one of those little, hey, I'll get you in before everything opens, and you'll get to see stuff that nobody else gets to see kind of tours. Um, so that's what we did. We got there really early one day. It was him and me and a couple of family friends that went. Uh, so I have, I have people who can vouch for this. It's not just me. Um, but we, we rolled up in there. We had a great time. Uh, it was really a lot of fun. Uh, but they had this really, really big tiger, and and he, I, you know, you're, you're the younger brother, so you're always taking the cues from the older brother, and he's all yeah. like, hey, can I pet the tiger? Can I, you know, he's licking my hand. That's so cool. And of course, you want to do everything that your older brother's doing. So I'll never forget that the, the big, huge tiger, who's an 850-pound Siberian tiger, was licking my hand, and somebody oh, was videotaping God. this. Somebody somewhere has this on tape somewhere. I don't know where it went. But I looked back at the camera, and I felt my arm tug. And I, I look back, and sure enough, man, he, this tiger's got my hand in his mouth, and he's just like, you know, kudos to the tiger. He he could have ripped my arm off if he wanted to, but he was obviously just playing around and having a good time. So he wow. tugged on me a couple of times, uh, left left a nice little mark on two of my fingers, didn't break the skin or anything, but uh, one of the ladies that was with us for the tour guide, which may have been Carol for all I know, I don't even really remember, somebody reached in there and popped him in the face and said, no bite, and he let me go. So that's, wow. that's my story. I'm sticking to it. That's 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 how I remembered. It was a crazy day. We had a great time. Got to sit in the in a cage with a baby ocelot and have him dance around. I mean, which after watching the documentary now, I just feel sad and guilty about it for all this <laughs> the animals, no matter which zoo they ended up at. But uh, but yeah, man, that's that's my that's my Tiger King connection. That's my Tiger King story. Wow, and you are, as you know, from watching uh, the show and, and just from having the knowing the fact that that tiger could rip you. You're very lucky. To have your arm. It's interesting you said so when you're telling that story. So I told my story, which was nothing to do with Carol Baskin, thank goodness, but I was down in Puerto Vallarta, and at the golf course at this resort is called El Tigre, and they have tigers there, full-grown ones in, in that are kind of at the entrance and have these big pens, but they also had, they were raising a young one that was at this time the size of, I would say, like a, a lab, like a Labrador dog. So not right. huge, still young enough, but... I, of course, was like, hey, how cool to be to pet a tiger. And this guy was walking around like the tiger was his dog and petting it, and it seemed great. And so I went and pet the tiger. But when it actually bit me, and again, it did the same thing. It was just kind of playing around, messed on my leg. But my whole leg was in its mouth, or my calf was in its mouth at one point. But didn't break the skin, just left some scratches and some, some indentations. But it was when I turned my eyes away from it. And supposedly, you're never supposed to turn your back over your head to a big cat. I don't know why. But it's interesting that that's what I did, and this everything was going great. And as soon as I turned around to look at somebody who was taking a picture of me, that's when it bit me. And just like you turned your head away from it, that's when it got you. So if you're ever with a tiger, look right at it. <laughs> look it in the eyes. Do not turn your head. That's two. This is now. This is statistical fact. Two instances. Confirmation. Yeah. Two for two. Yeah, that seems to be the truth, right? I actually, um, in in, pre- in uh, preparation of this, I called my mom because there's a picture of me with a bobcat like walking on my head from that day so i actually got her to give me that picture i'll post it i'll post it on twitter after we're done here but i have a picture from that day is is carol how has the fallout been this thing was such a phenomenon it'll probably be like everything now it'll be here and then gone because the last episodes are really tough to watch frankly um it's kind of fun through the first three and then it gets really tough to watch but um what has the reaction been in that area to this 
to Tampa. I think, Tampa. honestly, I mean, being someone who's lived here most of this time, I think a lot of it is kind of shock and awe that we didn't make a bigger deal about it the whole way, particularly with, you know, the story about her husband and all that. So sure. our, our, our sheriff here in our county actually has just now, again, started putting stuff out like, hey, this is still a cold case. Do you guys want to help us out? Anybody's got any information? We're, we're, we're all wow. ears right now. And uh, the local newspaper, the Tampa Bay Times, is, you know, putting out a bunch of their stuff like, hey, this is all the reporting we did back then throughout the case. And this is all the, you know, the stuff we've tried to do to help uncover this. So the, the area, I think, is definitely kind of like coming back around to the fact like, oh, my God, this did actually happen right here. And it's still, you know, in a lot of ways, still an open case. Man, it, it it's going to be interesting to see if this documentary leads to the downfall. If Carol Baskin, in fact, did do what it appears after three episodes, which is where I am, that it did happen, that would be certainly uh, uh, something stunning there. All right, Luke, we've got you on here. And while that Tiger King story is obviously one that we had to hear, but you also covered the draft for the Draft Wire USA Today. You had a four-round mock that dropped yesterday that people can check out. So let's just jump in there. Your thoughts on the Browns, how it would go for them, and then tell the folks what you had the Browns doing. Yeah, I think, you know, Cleveland did a good job of filling, you know, a couple of their bigger needs in, in free agency, and that's that's really what free agency is for, right? You want to go in there, spend, you know, the money as best you can, as, as economically as you can, to fill the bigger needs so that you go into the draft with more flexibility. You, you never want to go into a draft saying, oh, man, I really struck out at this position. I really have to have one of these guys as early as possible because that's when you start reaching for guys. That's when you start making bad picks and, and not making the most of your value is when, you know, you're forced to reach like that. But one unique thing I think that, you know, the Browns did, at, bringing Conklin in where he's he's more comfortable at right tackle still leaves them open, I think, to try to upgrade at left tackle in this draft. Obviously, with all the, you know, stuff with Greg Robinson, you, you, you've got a hole there. And if you're able to keep Conklin on the right side where he's happier uh, or at least more experienced, um, you know, you, you could put Mekhi Becton from Louisville and any of those, Andrew Thomas from Georgia, there's four offensive tackles that I think should – all get top 10 consideration in this class. So I think at number 10, you're still talking about, you know, maybe spending that pick on a top tackle, assuming that guys like Isaiah Simmons are off the board, which are, you know, Isaiah Simmons is a a player that every team needs, no matter who you have at at linebacker or safety. So, you know, a lot of different options the Browns could have, but I still think that that going off as a tackle will probably end up giving them the best combination of need and value, at least at number 10. And then, you know, day two, I, I think they shouldn't be done addressing the offensive line even if they go tackle early i think uh, addressing the interior is something they could obviously do uh, i think a safety could be in play which i think they'll find great value there in the, in the early second round in terms of you know what's there at safety whether it's grant delpit from lsu i think kyle duggar from lenore ryan is the guy I gave them this time around which is you know another fantastic athlete small school guy who had no business being a small school guy should have been playing uh you know power five football um, but he makes sense a lot to them. So a lot of different ways the Browns could go there, and I think this draft falls very well in terms of the depth of the certain positions that they need to fill in the early rounds. Yeah, Luke, I, th- I think you're right. I think it does. I think the it, once you get once you handle the left tackle situation and you start looking at the other positional needs, it's clearly safety um, is is prominent. Uh, that that you'd want to do something there. Um, they're going to need to do some stuff at linebacker. Although I don't know that draft is the way. Probably some veterans somewhere still in free agency there. And then opposite Miles, whether you bring in a, bring back Olivier at a, at a lower Olivier Vernon at a lower number or not, you're going to need to add some depth on the on the defensive line. Let's let's tackle defensive line depth in the second and third round, and then specifically safety depth in the second and third round. Who do you like in those areas? 
Yeah, there's there's a lot of guys that particularly in terms of edge rushers, if you are looking for an you know an, a, an edge guy as opposed to an interior guy, I think there's going to be uh, an early chunk of interior guys that honestly a lot of them could be off the board even by by the time the Browns pick in the second round. So edge might be a better spot for them there. I think safety will be a really good spot for some depth. I mentioned a couple guys earlier. Um, you could add Antoine Winfield Jr. from uh, from Minnesota to that group. Uh, Ashton Davis from Cal. Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois, another small school kid uh, who did great at the Senior Bowl, had a great combine. You know, th- those are all guys that I think could be in the mix uh, in on day two, second or third round. Um, in terms of the edge guys, we also saw quite a few guys at the Senior Bowl uh, make the most of that week. Um, Bradley and A from uh, Utah. Josh Uche uh, from Michigan, two very versatile guys that can drop cover, they can rush the passer. Um, definitely will be no shortage of depth on day two uh, for either of those positions, which, again, sets up really well for what the Browns need. One of the guys that I love on the edge, Yator Gross Matos from Penn State. I, I keep, you know, I think kind of willing him to the Browns at pick 41. You have him going 29 to the Tennessee Titans. Uh, what can you tell us about him? And do you th- is he a guy that does have a chance to maybe be there early in the second round, or do you think it's he's pretty much a lock to go in the first? Yeah, I think he's, you know, right off. He's one of those off-the-bus guys. You see him get off the bus, and you're like, that's an NFL football player right there. He's the, the prototypical edge for today's NFL. Big, tall, you know, he's got long arms and a big frame. Uh, obviously more comfortable rushing the passer and, and doing that out of a, a three-point stance as opposed to standing up in a, you know, edge 3-4, dropping into coverage outside linebacker type of role. But I think he's athletic enough to do it if, if necessary. Uh, I just don't see guys like that falling too too far. If he, Even if he does make it out of the first round, you know, you look at a lot of the teams picking ahead of Cleveland in that second round. You look at teams like the Lions. If they don't end up getting Chase Young early in the first round, you look at the Giants, there's you know three or four teams before the Browns would get a crack at it. If, if Grossmatos is the guy that they really, really like and he is still on the board after the first round, you might see them you know having to make a move up the board if that's the guy they want. Luke, let's talk about uh, the team in your hometown now a little bit uh, with the big swoop for Brady. When did you start to consider that to being a real option um, for, for the Buccaneers? How long was this plan in the works, and how tough – behind the scenes was the divorce from Jameis? Well, you know, I think that the plan was was probably hatched in terms of, you know, if you're Jason Light, the general manager, Bruce Arians, the head coach, I think that plan was hatched well before any of us really had an idea that it that it might be a possibility because they, you know, that's something that you have your, you know, your pro personnel people, your scouting department looking into way ahead of time. Like, who's going to become available? And once Brady you know, constructed his contract the way he did with the ability to get out of it and be a true free agent after last season. I think that very, very early on, Bruce Arians and Jason Light got together and said, hey, what if this happens? How, you know, how good of a shot do you think we have here? And I think that they, they were very wise in doing everything they could to prepare for that, you know, possibility while also understanding that they have a 26-year-old quarterback who's already their all-time leader in every major passing category, Jameis Winston, who, you know, second in the NFL in touchdown passes last year, throws for 5,100 yards, the eighth guy to throw for 5,000 yards ever. Uh, you know, but unfortunately the turnovers have just, they've not gotten better. They've gotten worse as Jameis Winston's career has gone on, and that's just something that they could not live with. If you go back and watch, you know, early press conferences with, with particularly Bruce Arians throughout the season, you know, he was – his best to deflect blame away from Jameis for those turnovers and 
explain why you know a receiver should have done this or, or should have run this route. If you if you compare those press conferences early in the season with the one right after the Falcons game in Week 17, where he threw that pick six on the first play of overtime to lose the game and to end the season seven and nine as opposed to eight and eight, Bruce Arians' demeanor was completely a 180 from earlier in the season, and and the way he spoke about it, you could tell immediately in that moment. Now that he knew he didn't have to, you know, kind of deflect blame for his quarterback. It was obvious that this team was very, very prepared to see, as Bruce said, you know, publicly what was behind door number two. Uh, and he even said it point blank at, at the combine. I think he was being interviewed by somebody, and somebody asked, "What would, what would the other option have to be, you know, for you to be willing to move on from Jameis Winston?" He said Tom Brady by name. I don't even know if he's allowed to do that. Um, but, but it was obvious very early on that Tom Brady was the target. And I think that, you know, especially for me, being born in this area and, and growing up a Bucks fan and understanding. How, what this franchise is synonymous with, and it's not success. Um, you know, the idea that the greatest quarterback of all time would not only become a free agent, willingly leave the New, New England Patriots, which was the first hurdle to really yeah. believe that this was going to happen. You had to actually believe he was going to leave New England in the first place instead of just lever, re- leveraging that interest into, you know, uh, another contract in New England. Once he became a free agent, he started to look around the league and see – you know, the Colts go in the direction of Phillip Rivers. The Panthers with Teddy Bridgewater. You saw the Titans, you know, stick with Tannehill. You saw the Raiders prefer to, to bring in Mariota as a backup. You saw all these teams who were talked about as being just as much, you know, in the in the mix for Brady as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were. They're all kind of dropping like flies and making their plans elsewhere. And I think that, that meant to me that everybody kind of already had an idea through back channels or whatever that Brady wanted to go to Tampa Bay and the Bucks wanted him there too. And that it was just going to work out. When it finally got down to it, seems the Chargers and the Bucks, you know, people like me were still like, "There's no way he's going to pick the Bucks over the Los Angeles market." Especially, you know, he's got a production company now. There's so many different reasons why you you couldn't believe that the Bucks would be the last team standing when it came to 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 Tom Brady making that decision. But as we heard Jason Light on ESPN this morning, he said that when they spoke to to Brady right after free agency opened, it was every bit as much Brady selling himself to the Bucks as it was the other way around. So. Wow. This was clearly, you know, from from a very early time, gonna gonna happen no matter what. Which is just absolutely stunning. Talking with Luke Easterling, who covers the draft for USA Today and DraftWire, obviously talking about the Bucks there. All right, Luke, tell us, Bo and I, tell Bo and I if we're nuts. So Bo and I fully believe in Jameis Winston, and I realize he threw a lot of interceptions last year. I feel like we we're going to be able to be the ones that figure that out, and maybe that's foolish on our part. But if I'm the Miami Dolphins this year. I'm going to just bring in Jameis, and then I have three first-round picks to just absolutely load up my roster, get a superstar at five, get one of the best young wide receivers in the NFL, and get probably a stud offensive lineman if I want. Get a, you know get Isaiah Simmons at five. You can get a star receiver at 18 and then take a, an offensive line like a Josh Jones down there or an Ezra Cleveland or an Austin Jackson. Somebody is going to be available that's good on the offensive line and really just remake your franchise and say, hey, let's bring Jameis back to Florida. We know he can sling it. And let's see what we can do. I, you know, I've seen crazier plans, that's for sure. Um, and again, especially if you're talking about the, you know, the Dolphins who seem to be in the, you know, matched with Tua Tungavailoa um, in every single mock draft you see whether they trade up or not. So, you know, Tua is going to have his own questions, mostly related to the durability and the injuries. So sure. it's not like that plan isn't going to have its own questions. So if you were to opt for Jameis instead, who, who, let's be honest, at this point in the free agency market. Not going to get twenty million dollars a year, twenty five million dollars a year. He's, a, he's 
going to take the best deal he can get where he's going to have a chance to compete for a starting job. And the Dolphins, if they came to him and said, listen, we're not going to give you $25 million a year, but we're going to make you, you know, the starter until otherwise noted, and we're going to use all these draft resources to load up around you and to rebuild this roster. Uh, I, I, it's hard for me to argue with that plan. Again, I'm really high on, on Tua. Uh, I like Justin Herbert as well. But if you're telling me that I can get, you know, a guy that led the NFL with 5,000 yards passing last year through 33 touchdowns, if I can get that guy at a, at a discounted rate and I can use those resources, I don't have to invest in a young quarterback with any of those, and I can just build that roster. There are definitely worse, worse ways to go about rebuilding your team. Yeah. Uh, yes, thank you, sir. That's how yes, we think. thank you. Some good validation. <laughs> I don't and let me, and let me say this about Jameis in particular. I, you know, having covered him very closely, you know, you can say what you will about the turnovers. This is definitely someone who, whether or not he figures it out with the turnovers, he, he's never going to be a player – who, who didn't succeed because he didn't work hard enough to get there. He is, yeah. he is passionate about improving himself. He, he is honest about you know, what he needs to improve on and how he needs to get better about it. And I mean, I didn't play quarterback at a very high level. I played it at a very low level, and I can commiserate with a quarterback who makes throws that he doesn't understand why he made them in the first place. I've had that, <laughs> you know, those, those thoughts going through my head on the field before. And so you know, what I can promise you is any team that gets Jameis Winston in the door is getting – you know, a, a still young player, again, 26 years old, who's already the all-time leading passer in Tampa Bay in touchdowns, yards, you name it, and, and he's going to work his tail off, and he's going to have – I'll say this, you know, a friend of mine, Jenna Lane, who covers the Bucks for ESPN, sure. said this when, when the Tom Brady thing was happening, is that if you notice, there were a lot of Bucks players, particularly offensive skill players, who were very reluctant to share their excitement for Tom Brady coming to Tampa Bay out of respect for the fact that they had worked with and played with Jameis for the last three, four, five years and had so much respect for the way he played the game and how hard he worked as a teammate that it was really difficult for them to, to balance the positive emotions of knowing you're going to catch passes from Tom Brady with also knowing that that means you're losing a friend and you're, you're losing a teammate that you've battled with in Jameis Winston. They have a lot of respect for him in that locker room, and that's going to follow him wherever he goes. Luke, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate it. Follow Luke on Twitter, at Luke Easterling. Check him out at the Draft Wire at USA Today and for Sports Illustrated covering all things Tampa Bay, specifically the Bucks. Thanks, bud. Appreciate your time. Hey, always a pleasure, guys. Thanks so much. Yeah, that's you saw that in Hard Knocks, though, Z. Like he had that he had that he had that franchise by the throat in terms oh, of everyone no following him. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's got a natural charisma and leadership, all that. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Behind closed doors, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin have had a conversation being like, I wonder if this guy's going to be able to get us the ball down the field like Jameis did last year. I guarantee that they've thought that. Yeah. Of course they're excited about winning, but when they're talking about their stats and their numbers and the things that they did and the stuff that they put up last year, I guarantee there is some trepidation amongst them, which I know people are going to say, you're an idiot. You sound like um, a moron saying that that they are going to have trepidation about Tom Brady. There's going to be some trepidation amongst Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Hey, can yeah. we both go for 1,400 yards? Can I average 16 yards a catch again, Mike Evans? Can I average 17 yards a catch again? Brashad Perriman, when he was there last year, averaged 18 yards yeah. a catch. Can I, am I going to be able to do that with Tom Brady? And I think that that is a very, very real question. Now, the offense, yes, it is more conducive to that. But, I mean, I'm trying to go through here and see the last time that a wide receiver for Tom Brady – Josh Gordon in 11 games two years ago averaged 18 yards a catch. Chris Hogan got up to 15. 
but this is their totally different style of, of what's going years on. Years ago, too. Right. It was a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think so. I, th- I think that's valid. I, I, if I'm Miami, I would I would absolutely Everybody roll th- the dice with that. And you yeah, give me those three ones, and I, yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to make my team a lot better. I'm going to get an A1. I'm going to get a number one receiver. Uh, whatever. I don't know their roster well enough to know all of their weaknesses and strengths, but you, you could address a lot of it, and then you put that kid in there, and away you go. Um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. All right, coming up at the top of the hour, we think this will be interesting as well. We're going to do our deep dive on the post-free agency, every roster spot on this roster. Are we set? What do we need? Who needs to improve? Where are we at? We get into all of that, and we start with the tight ends. We do it at 2 o'clock, CBD 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Baker's got the snap, looks left, throws middle, caught in the end zone, touchdown, it's David Njoku! And they're finally back into it with 2.10 to go in the third. Baker's got the snap, back up in the middle of the pocket, he's in all kinds of trouble, he rolls right, rolls right, throws, back edge of the end zone, it's gone! (laughs) Steven Carlson's got it! In the back corner of the end zone, what a catch, touchdown! Unbelievable. Unbelievable catch by Steven Carlson. How many times have I told you? Get the ball to Carlson. <laughs> they go to Hooper and another touchdown. Austin Hooper, his eighth catch of the game. Out of the shotgun. Ryan over to Hooper inside the five, and Hooper takes it in. Touchdown, Falcons. That's exactly what the doctor ordered. All right, welcome back into Cleveland Browns Daily. Injuries during your childbirth require experienced counsel. Call the lawyers at Elk and Elk for a clear answer as to what happened during your child's birth. Elk and Elk is a proud partner of your Cleveland Browns. Call 1-800-ELK-OHIO today. And does that lead you to believe? We're going to talk a little bit about the tight end position. So we'll do a different position here every day on CBD. And we start with tight end and a deep dive into our roster post-free agency, although free agency is still, still ongoing. Still a number of guys unsigned, but most of the big fish have been caught at this point, including Austin Hooper to us. It leaves us with a a roster of tight ends as we stand right now with Austin Hooper, David Njoku, Stephen Carlson, Farrell Brown, uh, Johnny Stanton, I suppose, if he's a a fullback or a tight end or whatever. But those are the guys kind of in the mix. Z, this is something that you, as soon as Kevin Stefanski was hired, you said, boy, we've got to be great there. And they went a long way in doing that with the signing of Hooper. They did, but there's still a lot of work to be done in this room as far as I'm concerned. I think, you know, you're probably going to carry four tight ends onto the roster. You only have four in the building right now. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if another tight end's added via free agency, obviously on a lower level or in the draft with an emphasis on a blocking tight end. Because the guys that you have here, you have Austin Hooper, who's all, you know, a five-tool guy, as you like to say, all-world, certainly a two-time pro bowler. Uh, he can do it all in terms of blocking, very good as a wide zone blocker, great route runner, great hands. But you look at the three guys that are left, David Njoku uh, is more that athlete for you. He only had five catches for 41 yards and a touchdown last year. But let's go back you know, to his second year in the league, over 600 yards receiving that season. Former first-round pick out of the U, and I thought a guy that was really trending up. He had 386 and four as a rookie, 639 and four in his second year, and then last year's season that really just got away from him and, and, and was unraveled by that injury with the Jets and whatever happened after that with the coaching staff. But I expect him to be back 
So those are your top two. And Hooper, we talked about, I mean, this guy, he's gotten better every single year he's been in the league. Every year he's been in the league. More catches, more yards, more touchdowns. 2016, 17, three in both of those, but then four and then six. His yards have gone from 271 to 526 to 660 to 787. The receptions from 19 to 49 to 71 to 75. So he has he, he's your guy. That's your one Najoku, your one A. But behind him, I got to tell you, Bo, I think that there is a lot of work to be done. Steven Carlson and, and Jim said, I've been telling you, you got to throw the ball to Carlson. Very nice season. Stiff arm Steve, as we called him, as an undrafted yeah. free agent out of Princeton. Five catches on seven targets, 51 yards, and that touchdown that came against the Steelers on Thursday night. Pharaoh Brown only appeared in three games last year, two catches, 27 yards, had a tough time staying healthy. And, and really, you know, he's not a runner. He's not really a receiver. And, and he's also not necessarily, you know, your prototypical blocking tight end either. So you wonder where does he fit in now? He's the biggest on the roster, 6'6", 260. So he's going to have to work on that blocking, I think, to, to earn his keep. But Boy, last year's receiving leader at tight end, believe it or not, was Ricky Seals-Jones, 14 for 229 yep. and four touchdowns on 22 targets. I heard 16 yards a catch. Um, the Browns opted not to to tender him as a as a, as a a free agent. So he's, he's left the building at this point. Um, and that surprised me a little bit. Now, I get it because, you know, you've got Njoku in that role, but I thought he was a pretty good player, uh, but clearly not a fit for what the tight ends need to do. He is not a blocker at all. He is strictly uh, a receiver. Um, and so I think that there's still a lot of work to be done. As I said, there are four on the roster. We'll probably carry four on the 55. And, and so you're going to need just – you need more bodies, period. So yeah. look for maybe this to be a position that in the middle to later rounds, the Browns target. You know, you've got those two third-round picks. you got a fourth-round pick. Maybe somewhere third to fourth, fifth rounds, they tab a tight end that they like that they think is more in that blocking mold, which probably make it a fourth or a fifth-round pick or even later, but a big-bodied blocker and maybe somebody else in free agency. I don't see us going into – the off-season program whenever that's able to begin with any fewer than six tight ends on this roster and we currently have four yeah i i that's a great point from a number standpoint in terms of the offense that we're going to play and the amount they're going to have to be active every single sunday by the time you play i was trying to see if there's anybody else out there in free agency at the tight end position um obviously the headliner there would be delaney walker is still out there that I don't think that would probably be a fit. So I was just trying to think if there was anybody out there in, in free agency still because you're right, you're probably going to address this in the draft, but that might even be enough. Yeah, I don't know that it would be. I mean, some of the names of guys that that you, maybe you could think of would be a, a Luke Stocker who spent some time down in Tampa Bay who is much more of a blocker, um, a, a Lance Kendricks who's a veteran but still more in that blocking mold. Uh, David Morgan, those are the names that are out there. It's really kind of slim pickings. A guy that ben. you thought maybe would have a nice career, Clive Walford, never really has. Uh, I'd say Luke Stocker, Ben Koyak, who's 26 as well. Those are more in that blocking mold that, that you could bring in on a very cheap uh, one-year deal to do that for your organization. Yeah, that, that's kind of where you're at. Uh, you, you feel pretty good as, you, as we go through the, the criteria here. The biggest strengths of the group are the first two guys from a pass-catching ability standpoint. I mean, Hooper is what he is. That's why he was paid the most to come here. Uh, he's elite. Uh, he's five-tool guy. He's going to play every down, and he's that type of that type of player. Uh, David's season last year in a, in a season full of disappointment, and it's not all on him. It's hard to say what all went wrong. 
Um, but that's what that was one of the most shocking developments of last season, Z. Because if you go back to training camp a year ago, it was David and Joku in the red zone all Dominance. the time. And, and you, you would have thought that's all we were going to see is him in the red zone. And he played great with Baker at the end of the previous year. So it was shocking to see how that transitioned last year. Not just to mention in training camp, it was in week one of the NFL season. He caught that touchdown down there against the Tennessee Titans. I mean, that's where you thought he was a guy who had a chance to score eight to ten touchdowns that year. I thought he would be a big part of the offense. Obviously, that never materialized. And I'll tell you what, I'm throwing that out. I throw that tape out. To me, David Njoku in the year 2019, that didn't exist. Didn't happen. Didn't see it. I'm going back to what I saw from him in 17 and 18. Uh, a lot of promise. He's now in an offense that is going to be much better suited to him. As I've mentioned numerous times, the Browns last year targeted their tight ends fourth fewest in the NFL. They never really got him going. I mean, Ricky Seals-Jones with just over 200 yards was your leading receiver as a tight end. Yeah. Demetrius Harris was under a buck 50 on the season. So it, it never was what we thought that position would be in the offense. And it was so ironic because that second half of the season, the year before, the tight ends played a big role in those multiple sets and fells and the joke who both had a, a good number of touchdowns and played very well. And then that just kind of disappeared from the offense, unfortunately, this past year. And so you, you, it's going to come back. That's one thing we can be very, very certain of. It is going to come back. This type of an offense always favors the tight ends. They are utilized both as receivers and as blockers. And, and I look for a, a very good season from Austin Hooper and a very good season from David Njoku as well. Yeah, it's pretty amazing going back to two years ago. At, at age 22, Njoku catches 56 passes for 640 yeah. four touchdowns. And and you say to yourself, well, he, I didn't know if he would put up – in fact, I think we did like an over-under on yards he would accumulate last season. And I don't know if we, I don't know if I would have said over just because of we had so much, so much offensive firepower or believe that we did a year ago that maybe his total yardage wouldn't be up. But you thought for sure the touchdowns would be way up. And it was a guy who at age 22 – was was just so young and so precocious and so talented and you just thought geez that what this guy's got a chance to be and to follow that up with with just one start last year uh and just the one touchdown in the opener and then that was it and it was injury sure but it was beyond that there were issues i'm with you it's almost like a red shirt year in college terms with him where um i look forward to the idea folks he's still just 23 years old david is he's a kid. yes yes still just 23 he's still developing and i think Last year, I know it didn't sit well with David Njoku. I don't blame him for it not sitting well with him. And look, you're entering the last year of your rookie contract, and everybody in the NFL wants a second contract. He's got an opportunity to do that, but he's going to have to play well. And you you talk about, well, we don't really have that blocker. I I haven't been around many physical specimens in the NFL like David Njoku. So if he wants to become a dominant blocker, I don't see any reason why David Njoku can't become a dominant blocker but it's going to take discipline hard work working on his technique etc but if he does that and is willing to do that David Ajoku could be a, a, a megastar this year because physically he should you look at him and you say yeah that's I get it that that guy could dominate a lot of people in this league and so if he can apply his functional strength and his athleticism and his explosiveness and channel it into blocking the receiving is going to be there it's going to come especially in this offense. He's going to get a lot of mismatches this year. So if he can really develop as a blocker, I think there's a real opportunity for David Njoku to really uh, not only kind of rejuvenate his career after a lost season, but really reignite his career and have people look at him as, yeah, that of course that guy was a first-round pick because he is dominant. Yeah, yeah, and it's... 
Yeah, it, it's all of it's ahead for him there. And and you think about the idea that he had Fells on the roster the year before and the year that he had in Houston, and you just think, okay, let's get this back on track. You do that with Hooper. You mentioned the weaknesses in the room. Well, obviously it's at blocking and it's at depth. There just isn't a lot of either, and though that is going to have to be amplified, as Z said off the top and breaking down uh, the position. Your biggest question heading into 2020 in this room is what, sir? One, can David Njoku take that step forward, regain that form, and really improve as a blocker to become a dominant tight end? And then number two would be, for me, you know, how do they fill out this room? Because you lose an Austin Hooper or a David Njoku right now, yeah, you feel great about your top two, but after that, you know, I, and that's no disrespect to Steven Carlson. I think he did a good job, but I, I don't think that we're going to be able to run this offense successfully you know, without those guys, and injuries do happen. So it's how are we going to fill that room out with guys that, if need be, could step in and keep this offense, obviously not humming at the level it's going to with Austin Hooper and David Njoku, but, you know, feel that you'd feel pretty good about their ability to continue going forward. Yeah, just to not be repetitive of everything you just said, because those are the headliners uh, for me, and this isn't a concern, but just a question is how quickly can Austin Hooper get on the same page with Baker Mayfield? That That is going to be a real key to where we go. Hoop's going to have to be a huge – he's assigned to be a huge part of this offense. Baker is fantastic at utilizing and throwing to the tight ends, going back to his time at Oklahoma. There, it's a safety blanket for him. We saw that last year in camp, which, again, which was so strange how it completely dissolved once we got into the season. Uh, but it was something that was there in camp, and it was something that was there the previous year as well. He loves it, loves to have the safety blanket. If they get on the same page, there's really no, no limit to what this offense can do. And my guess is that they do and they get there quickly. It's actually what I'm most excited to see in terms of this offense next year is how quickly those two mesh because I think it's a it's going to be kind of a match made in heaven between the two of those guys uh, going going into next year. For a little more perspective Absolutely. on who and, uh, and, and the tight end position in general, one of our old buddies, D. Orlando Ledbetter, the AJC, is going to join us coming up here uh, at 2.30. Coming up next, the NFL.com lists the five remaining needs for every NFL team. We get into that coming up next. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily at 8.50 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 8.50 ESPN Cleveland. All right, welcome back into Cleveland Browns Daily. Bo Bishop Bates Zagura with you on a Monday edition. D. Orlando Ledbetter will join us at the bottom of the hour. Um, NFL.com lists the five remaining needs for every NFL team heading into the draft. And for us, in no specific order, they list offensive tackle, safety, linebacker, defensive line, and wide receiver. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, rank them in order of need. Now, we did this. Um, didn't we do a top ten? Going yeah. into this was back in January when our lives sure. were normal. Yep. Um, I think I think we did our top ten, and um, at that time that was before uh, Greg's arrest. Um, and at that point, um, I thought the biggest need on this team, based on kind of what you thought was going to happen with Morgan Burnett and Demarius Randall, was going to be safety. Um, that that was the one that was going to be. Uh, it's very clear how things have changed at that point, and and I, I'm fine with with tackle being uh, number one. Z, Z, how would you? Should we go five to? Should we want? Do you want to go five to one or one to five? Let's go one to five because I think it'll be easier to keep my thoughts around that that way. All right, your number sense. one biggest need. 
My number one biggest need, I still think at this point, is is a left tackle. So I'm going to say left tackle there. I feel pretty good about um, how we are stacked up now uh, on the interior of that. Now, maybe they want to add somebody else to be a backup inside and a center, et cetera, but maybe they've got that in Evan Brown. But the fact that you've got Hubbard here, you've still got Kendall Lamb, I feel pretty good about your backup tackle situation. So to me, it's just a starting left tackle is probably the biggest hole on this team in terms of if you had to go out there and start today, yep. you know, you, and if you, look, you could get by with Kendall Lamb or, or Hubbard, but I think that's the one position that you really want to upgrade today. Yeah, I'm with you on that front. Um, it's And I think the last statement you made there is the critical one. Like if you wanted to play a game right now, that's still the position where you need a starter um, is is at left tackle. And um, and that's where it's going to go. And it, I Again, I have not seen a single mock draft, although Matt was bringing something to my attention and before we started the show, that there was one that he saw uh, that had all four of the tackles going. Matt, what was that? What, you had one right – all four of the tackles are going before we before we picked at 10? Yeah, because um, – oh, man, I believe it was USA Today, and I want to say Nate Davis. Um, okay. I was looking at a couple, but the whole point was that the Buccaneers actually trade up in front of us to take a tackle. Okay. So let me see. I, I I just sent it to someone. Let me pull it up for you guys. But yeah, it was like worst case scenario. We're literally, and it was it All was a tackle at four, and then they go uh, seven, eight, and nine, like three right in a row, right before okay. we pick. So they have Carolina taking a tackle at seven. Correct. Huh. That's interesting. Or that actually might have um, been the trade. And I take that back. That was where Tampa Bay traded to. It, oh, in this one, okay. they had a trade where Tampa went up to Carolina's pick, I and see. then. Um, who did that leave for the Browns at 10? So they had um, – uh, I do have it up, by the way. It was uh, It's actually Ryan Wilson of CBS Sports. So one, two, and then they have, he has Tua going three. He has Jedrick Wills going four to the Giants. Isaiah Simmons goes five to the Lions when they trade back. Herbert goes to the Chargers, and then here it starts. Tampa moves up to seven to take Wirfs. Andrew Thomas goes eight to the Cards. And the Jags take Becton at nine, and then we take Javon Kinlaw at ten. Wait a and, second. Wait a second. Isn't Okuda on the board? Okuda is on the board. He has Okuda okay. going thir- or twelve to the Raiders. We would take Okuda in that scenario. Yeah. He also has Jerry yeah. Judy going eleven to the Jets. He also has the Browns trading up to thirty-two with the Chiefs to take Ezra Cleveland. So we at least so get that attack. part of it. I could see. But listen, if you had told me that we're going to end up with Ezra Cleveland and, and Okuda, I'd be fine with that. Now you got Okuda, Ward, and too. Greedy. You're locked down yeah. at corner. Um, you could do a lot of things there. I think you could do a lot of things with that. I, I would be yeah. fine with that. It, that's what I was trying to get at. It, it seems to me if you get four tackles before we pick, two quarterbacks, uh, or three quarterbacks before we pick, that, that Akuda Simmons or Chase Young, who it's not going to be Chase Young, but Akuda Simmons has to be there for you. And then you're either in a position to draft a megastar or make a great trade, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I sign me up. I, I have no problem with that. In fact, no me, would, would love that. Would love an Ezra Cleveland Jeff Akuda combination. <laughs> I would I'd love to see something like that. Um, what is your number two position of need, sir? Heading as we as we stand here on the thirtieth of March. So for me, I'm going to say as we stand here today, I want I want somebody else in that linebacker room. I really do. I want somebody in that linebacker room to really 
you know, flush that out, a veteran presence to help lead these guys because Kirksey and Schobert, they are gone, and B.J. Goodson so far is the one guy to replace them. I realize we're going to get more from Taki Taki. Uh, Mac Wilson, who I'm talking with later today uh, for something that will be on the Browns mobile app, ClevelandBrowns.com, the Browns YouTube channel. Uh, We'll check in with him. You know, he's obviously going to play a huge role for you, but uh, I I want somebody else in that linebacker room, and to me that's still – that's still a, a big need. And I would go the opposite and say, look, defensive end, but as long as Olivier Vernon's here, I feel right. really, he's here. And so right now our he's top here. three defensive ends are Miles Garrett, Olivier Vernon, and Chad Thomas. And could, do I want somebody else in the mix with Chad Thomas to push him for that role? Absolutely. And be the long-term heir to Vernon? Sure. But if he's here, it's not a huge position of need right now based on the current calculus, whereas I still think we need somebody in that linebacker room who can help. Yeah, I, I agree with. It's funny. I wrote these down. I'm interested to see how the last three go for you. But I would have at the beginning when we did this, I said safety. But obviously, we can play safety, and we're fine at safety. Yeah, uh, I still think it's something you have to address. And I still think if if somehow Simmons was there at ten, you race to the to the to the. Well, I guess you won't be racing to a commissioner. You press send as fast as you can on we want Isaiah Simmons if he yes. somehow falls to ten, uh, because game changers like that, game breakers like that, they don't come around that often. And yep. he's a significant talent, and it's a position of need. But in terms of need right now, I'm with you at linebacker. I I just I don't know I. I'm, there's got to be another veteran, I think, in that room, and it's slim pickings out there, certainly at that position. Nigel Bradham is a guy you've brought up who I covered when he was in high school and at Florida State. Um, somebody like that, I think they've got to have somebody in the room like that. Um, yep. You know, I, I don't know if it's a draft. I think you've got good young players, but maybe a draft one too, but I think you need a veteran in that room uh, to, to add a little bit to it. Um, number three for you, sir. Number three for me is where I'm going to go right now. I'm going to go back to safety here because you've got, you could, of course, Sandejo Joseph, who, you know, is still reported signing, but uh, between those two, you've got your starters and Sheldrick Redwine. I feel like pretty good about three. You need some more people in that room, and I think you do need long-term planning, especially at free safety. Now, the organization feels that Sheldrick Redwine showed enough that he's that long-term answer free safety, which he very well could be. Yeah. Then, then you feel pretty good about it. But to me, it's it's the, the next three positions that I have here are all kind of on the same level to me after the moves. And, and I but I'll go with safety first. So I went D line here, but I could have done I safety and D line. I could have made them three and four. You could kind of put them wherever you want. I, I just am reminded of how thin it got for us. And I realize that's with miles and suspension, uh, but how thin insert. it got for yeah. us at the end of last year where you were just going, what are we doing? Who, who are we trotting out there on the defensive line? And I just think you need to upgrade that. John Dorsey knew that all through last summer as he courted everybody that possibly could play defensive line to come in and sign throughout the offseason. And, and, and I still think it's a position of position group that needs, that has need. Uh, but again, I could have gone safety here or D line. I, to me, they, these two are very much interchangeable. So they are now I'm going to surprise you because I'm right now. I feel like about our top six man rotation on the D line. I feel pretty good about it. It's again, yeah. a position that I want to address, but if you were going into it right now and said, these are the six D linemen we're going to count on. We've got, you know, Garrett Vernon and Thomas, and then we've got Richardson, Ogan, Joby and Billings. Okay. Yeah. Like I feel pretty decent pretty good. about that. Yep. But uh, the position I'm going to say next is after our last talk. Yeah. I feel pretty good about our top two tight ends. But I think we need more guys in that room, and I think it's a position that we need to address specifically with an emphasis on a blocking tight end. So I'll actually put tight end number four. Yeah, if 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 tight end is going to be in the in the conversation, then I I would actually have had it probably ahead of safety and 
and def- well, maybe not ahead of safety. It's right there. Um, and the other one that was on this list was the wide receiver room. I'm very curious. I mean, you love what you have at the top. You've got injury concerns, I think, that have to be real uh, for both Jarvis, who's not going to be back to full health until at least August, although he looks good dancing those TikTok videos, so maybe. Yep. Um, and Odell, um, but I, you do need to add to that room, whether that is through free agency or bring back Hollywood Higgins or something, you need to add to that room. Um, and you could do that in the draft too. And you might be able to get, that's another thing. And you've mentioned, you've been consistent with this. You might be able to get a third, a, a third round receiver. That's a high second round grade just because how great this draft is at the position. Somebody could fall to you that you'd think would at no way in heck they would ever going to be there. All of a sudden they fall to you. Right. And to me, this is you're exactly right. I think receiver is absolutely a position of need. You mentioned the injuries we have to deal with. We don't even we really don't know who the third receiver on this team is right now. I mean, if we're just being honest about it and you said, OK, we're going to go out there and play and we're going to open up in a three receiver set. Who's the third receiver right now that's going out there? And that's assuming with Beckham and Landry healthy. Here are your choices, yeah. by the way. Kaderil Hodge, DJ Montgomery, Damian Ratley. Taewon Taylor, by the way, Taewon Taylor, maybe he gets some new life with a new coaching staff because he's yeah. a pretty talented player who can stretch the field. And, and when he was on the field last year, he did get open. So maybe they feel good about him. I mean, like I said, third round pick. I, I like Taewon Taylor, but it's Hodge, Ratley, Taewon Taylor. And then your other receivers are DJ Montgomery, who didn't play last year, Jamon Moore and Jojo Natson. I mean, that's what you got. That's what you're working. That's it. With. Yeah, that's it. I think Higgs just seems like the, the most the easiest thing. I, I mean, just you're, don't you're know gonna be able to get him happening. on a bargain. Baker knows him well, likes him, has a chemistry with him, trusts him. Something didn't go right last year. I don't know. I can't explain it. There seemed to be a lot of it, but to me, like, get it, bring that guy back in here, man. I, he just seems like a no-brainer to me. I agree. I agree. We'll see. Yes. I don't know right. if it was it, not if it was up to me because it's not, that's not the right way to phrase it, but. It seems on the surface, with it, we know that his market is, is as depressed as it could possibly be coming off of yeah. last year, that it would just make sense to bring Hollywood Higgins back. Now, yeah. uh, maybe it's they say to themselves, we can bring somebody that we think has better skills because of the load, how loaded this draft is, and that thus, we'll, let's, let's look through the draft, and we can get a receiver in round three who could be not only you know, that third guy, but could end up being a, a number two going forward for us. Yeah, yeah, that's possible, and we don't know what's said behind closed doors, but just on the surface and, and the way that we've seen Higgins play with Baker in practice and in games in the two years the two were together, um, it seems like a simple fix to, to an issue and someone who you could definitely trust being the third receiver uh, out there in, in, the, in the times when you're in those three receiver sets. For some perspective on what we're getting in Alex Hooper, we'll join by our old buddy, D. Orlando Ledbetter, Falcons beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He will join us coming up next. You're listening to CBD on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, welcome back into CBD on a Monday edition. Bo Bishop, Nathan's girl, along for the ride and joined by one of our buddies. Good friend, always good to talk to D. Orlando Ledbetter. Joined us now, Falcons beat writer, NFL writer for the AJC as well. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Austin Hooper and, and what we're getting in Hoop in an offense that's going to rely on him heavily, D. Uh, what, what can you tell us about Hoop the player, Hoop the man? 
Yeah, Hoop the Player's good guy. Uh, developed here, came out of Stanford early as a junior. He was on that uh, Super Bowl team and uh, learned under Jacob Tammy, a veteran who played at Kentucky, and uh, took that all in. Then he took it up on himself to get better and uh, went and worked out with Matt Ryan over the summer. And, uh, you know, they uh, worked on the routes and the things that he likes to do. And uh, then he took a big jump in his career in that third year. Uh, and last year he was on his way to, um, you know, a record-breaking year with almost, you know, 75 catches through 14 games. So the player was a guy whose arrow was pointing directly up. Uh, as a uh, person, he had to mature here. He was a little bit, uh, uh, you know, he was young, girly, didn't uh, know how to handle the media, you know, kind of arrogant and flighty with some of the reporters. But, uh, you know, that's, you know, who cares? You know, once we explain to him, we're just trying to write about football. Uh, he didn't seem to, to think that was the case. But, uh, yeah, the player's an excellent player. Uh, the uh, person's growing up, and then we got to watch him as a young man and, and you know, stumble a little bit, uh, kind of hid after one game when he dropped a, a big uh, ball against Miami and didn't want to talk to the media, said he had to go talk to his mom first. and But he grew, he's growing up, and you all are getting uh, the benefit of a kid who developed as a player and a person here in Atlanta. Orlando, you mentioned us and Hooper, you mentioned him dropping one. That was a pretty rare thing, though, right? Isn't this a guy that's going to come to Cleveland and have some real sure hands as a security blanket for Baker Mayfield? No, no, uh, early on, that was an issue, though. But the last couple of years, it hasn't been as he was an all-pro bowl alternate. Yeah, he caught pretty much everything he threw. The targets and the numbers are out there on that. But, um, you know, he didn't come back to a ball. He wasn't where he always was supposed to be early. Uh, but, you know, he corrected that. He saw it as a problem, and he corrected it by getting with Matt Ryan, going to local parks, throwing the balls and so forth. Uh, you know, once him and Baker get on the same page and they, he knows where he's supposed to be, uh, he's going to be there, and, uh, you know, he's going to catch the ball. Yeah, I would think that would that experience that you just outlined uh, with, with he and Matt Ryan be one that would be duplicated here. Uh, that, that he, unfortunately, with where we are with this uh, COVID-19 thing, we don't know when that's going to be, but but the idea that, that he, he having, having matured as a person and as a player, uh, would get with Baker, they'd get on the same page. Because in this offense, that, that that could be the key to the whole thing, is the type of chemistry they have early. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I, I follow the Browns closely and, uh, uh, you know, having grown up there in Cleveland, uh, you know, old Cathedral Latin guy and, and so forth. I think him and the Joker will give them a good double tight end set. Yeah. And you, you know, you go one back with Chubb and you got uh, OBJ and Jarvis outside. I mean, the uh, opportunities are there to be a potent uh, attack, high and low, hitting the zones, playing man, going deep with the other guys. Uh, you know, I could certainly see that offense being, uh, uh, you know, certainly not devoid of uh, – of uh, uh, you know, skilled players. I, mean, I know y'all got to get the tackles together and so forth. But uh, uh, yeah, that looks like the you know whole thing on paper again looks great in the off season. When you had Kyle Shanahan there a few years ago running this wide zone offense and what we're going to run here with Kevin Stefanski is built off of that you know, Shanahan-Kubiak wide zone system uh, and, and that's the first offense that Austin Hooper learned in the NFL back in his rookie season. What, from your vantage point, what can we expect from that style of an offense and what makes it so, so effective? Well, I think the, um, 
Kareem Hunt and uh, Chubb, man, they should go. That would be two thousand yards easy in that offense, uh, especially if they're running the, you know, make giving it giving it to them on the outside stretch plays, and then uh, coming off of the bootlegs, uh, the tight ends were wide open, clearly wide open uh, under Kyle Shanahan with uh, you know Hooper, even Levine Poilolo was getting down the field for some catches out of that thing. So the stretch zone set up everything. Uh, the stretch outside zone runs by Chubb and Hunt will set up everything, and then that'll spring Hooper free coming back across on some plays, uh, hitting the seam on others. Najoko will be able to sit down in some zones, and then you'll see OBJ streaking down the field on those cross, uh, cross deep crossers that Julio uh, was running in that offense. So they've got um, the skilled people, and then they just need a just a flat out burner just to take the top off of everything, just in case everybody starts sitting down on stuff. That was Callaway before he, you know, uh, you know, basically put himself out of the league. Yeah, that that is that is another thing that it, that that'll probably be looked for as you look to augment this uh, receiver position. Our guest, D. Orlando Ledbetter, Falcons beat writer, NFL writer for the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Boy, let, let's talk a little bit about your division and what has happened with the idea of Breeze coming back and Man. Brady being thrown into the mix in Tampa and an Atlanta team that spent a lot of money. Uh, you got Todd Gurley coming in there among others. It looks like it wants to get back to where it was a couple of years ago as a Super Bowl contender. It looks to me like it might be the toughest division in football. Uh, what do you make of what? What's happened in that division down there? Yeah, it's back to, you know, just a couple years ago, all three of them were in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, that, that'll be a return to that. Uh, the Bucks, all they needed was somebody to just kind of play quarterback, you know, not throw the ball to the other team. That uh, defensive front really, really was uh, um, wrecked the Falcons last year. They had six sacks and 14 uh, uh, quarterback hits and a 35-22, you know, beatdown in, in Atlanta. And then in the final game, they, they roughed them up. They roughed up the Falcons, but Jameis threw a, a pick six in overtime to give the game to uh, to the uh, Falcons. So they're going to be a uh, tough um, tough two games for the Falcons. Uh, Brady's just got to get the ball to Evans and uh, Godwin and Cameron Bray, O.J. Howard. The running back, Ronald Jones, has been kind of slow to develop. But, uh, you know, he's got weapons to move it around to, and that defensive front is, is – you know, they got Sue, they got Jason Pierre-Paul, they got Devin White, and the guy who nobody blocked was Shaquille Barrett because uh, he was a free agent linebacker, and he ended up with 19.5 sacks. So you were sliding away from him, and he killed you. So that's And uh, nobody knows about Levante David outside of the NFC South. He's one of the best linebackers in football. Should have been the, uh, the eight or five or six-time pro bowler. But So now he's there still. And their only problem is building the back end of their defense. And whereas the Saints, Saints have won the last three division titles. They've been six by you know six games running away from everybody. So getting Drew Brees back certainly helps them. Uh, if he gets hurt or something happens, uh, Tyson Hill guy is not real accurate. So uh, they got to get a backup quarterback to manage things if something happens to Drew, like last year when Teddy Bridgewater came in. And now Teddy, Teddy's in. Uh, Charlotte with, uh, you know, Coach Rule and the Panthers trying to – they're at the start of a rebuild there, so they, they probably won't be a factor much. But uh, the other three teams, will, you know, certainly look like playoff contenders right now. 
It is absolutely going to be a loaded division down there. Speaking of the Falcons, you know, we talk about Tom Brady, who is as well-known as they come going down to Tampa. But what about Todd Gurley coming back to Georgia, coming back now to play for the Falcons? And what is, I think, another one of amazingly under-the-radar stunning move of a guy that was, you know, obviously great, synonymous with the Rams. We don't know about his health completely, but coming back to Georgia where he made his name in college. Yeah, no doubt. They're really excited about getting Todd back. Uh, I'm sure the Falcons are checking out that left knee that's supposed to be arthritic and uh, led to his kind of slowdown in 18 and 19. So, uh, But they're only on the books for $6 million, uh, but they want to make sure they're getting an investment in that return. So we haven't, they haven't announced that as an official move yet because, uh, you know, they got to get a neutral doctor to, to see him uh, in the, you know, situation we're in with the virus and so forth so sure once he gets on board that's going to be uh you know folks, folks in georgia loved him he was a great uh, bulldog here for three years uh but the Falcons are making sure that he's healthy and so forth and know uh what they got to do to to manage him to use him as a key weapon and so forth so i don't think we're getting the the, the 15 16 girly but you know maybe if they can get him and they could manage him to 15 20 uh, carries the game and he can play with that uh, you know that would certainly be another weapon in their uh, offensive attack D. Orlando Ledbetter our guest uh, alright this is the most important question of the day are they going to get this uniform and uh, branding uh, rebranding right down there with this foul because they got a great uniform history uh, what are you hearing on the uniform front um, I'm hearing uh, you know Coach Quinn's let a little bit out of the bag uh uh, you know, I, I, I think they're going to do a pretty good job. I, I, I want them to go futuristic. I kind of like the, um, you know, go if you're going to change it, don't just, you know, move a couple colors around and, you know, just make the bird meaner or, you know, something like that. But uh, I don't know, you know, um, what a good uniform is. I just think futuristic, and I love teams that wear those combat things and the matted helmets and all that stuff. So, We'll see uh, how they do it. I just hope don't want them to look. A lot of people want them all black that they used to wear. Yeah. Uh, yes. Those are very popular. Yeah, those are very popular. I don't know if they're going to go all the way old black. But um, black is definitely a color that people want to see in there again. You know, the old Tommy Novus black with the red helmet look is very popular. What is it? I what is the? Uh, what did Quinn let it out of the bag? You said Quinn let it out of the bag. What did he say? He just talked in generalities in an interview with the team's website that, you know, he was consulted and the team, okay. uh, you know, the, the couple of players, he said, I think everybody's going to like him. You know, he's real general. Okay, uh, okay. Um, you know, he let on that he, he had a hand in on it, and uh, he said they're going to be hot. So, according to Coach Quinn, we're going to have some, the uniforms are going to be excellent. I love those from back in the day. I call them the Jeff George jerseys. Bo calls them the Deion Sanders era. <laughs> but that black helmet yeah. with the black jerseys over those silver. I love that look for the Falcons. Yeah, yeah. I think they're going to want a little bit more color. That was kind of a drab era, though. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Deion. Well, Jeff George era was not a drab era. Let's be honest. Come yeah. on. That guy was sensational. Great playoff game in Lambeau Field. Throws for 360. Orlando, and then you cannot June reason. Jones runs him out of town. June Jones runs him out of town this for Bobby Hebert. On Jeff George. You can't reason with him. It's Listen, irrational. That's when I was yeah. down there. I was in Atlanta. I was at Emory. I had gotten, we'd gotten season tickets to go. I was ready to go down there and watch my guy, Jeff George. And then June Jones runs him out of town for Bobby Hebert. And then, of course, there was a dark period for the Falcons after that. <laughs> oh, no doubt. No doubt. I'm, I'm just jabbing the fact that they didn't win much.
<laughs> that's, that is true. It's true. It's true. It's true. D. Orlando, always good talking to you, buddy. Appreciate you. All right, Bill and Nathan, you guys take care, and thanks for having me. I love that guy, man. He's the best. The D. best. Better, the best. Uh, NFL writer and Falcons beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Yeah, they've got they've got a, a lot of interesting things that they can choose from there, but it's, it is hard to beat those all blacks. If they could find a way to add just a, t- a little more red to those Dion, or as you call them, Jeff George eras, uh, yes. I think they would. that would probably be it. Just add a little bit of red to that. It would be great. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good look. Um, a lot of those are going to start popping now over the next month, I would assume. In the next two weeks, three weeks, you'll start to see a lot because you got to get, from a merchandise standpoint, you got to get those things, you got to get those things humming. And and most of them were sp- expected to drop by the time of the draft. And you got six teams that are having new uniforms. Yep. So you, you're going to start seeing those things fly out pretty quickly. You certainly are, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And that means every day that goes by, we're getting closer. Closer still. People need yes. man, you need a lifeline, brother. They'll take take a new uniform. I'm glad the draft is staying and I'm glad we still have some stuff like this to look forward to uh in the National Football League. Final segment up next, C B D A fifty ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on eight fifty ESPN Cleveland. All right, uh, welcome back into Cleveland Brown State. Bill Bishop Nathan Skirt with you on a Monday edition of the program. Uh, Governor DeWine in the last hour is doing his updates as he tends to do. And I don't think that this would be a surprise uh, to any of you out there listening, but just to pass it along, um, I'm guessing many of you prepared for this. Um, the school closing, which initially was for three weeks, that they've given an additional order that will take it all the way to May 1st. So the entire month of April uh, will be a homeschooling or stay-at-home situation uh, for kids. Uh, and then will be reevaluated as they cl- get closer to that date. So that happening uh, today, which is a staggering thing. Um, and I'm very lucky in that my, um, you know, my wife can, can stay at home. And so she's a teacher now, but I can't imagine uh, the position that, and my kids are young, right? I mean, my oldest is in third grade. So it's not like if he, if he doesn't do anything, but uh, doesn't do an ounce of schooling from now until the end of the year, it's not going to change him that much uh, from a negative standpoint. Whereas if you have older kids or high school kids or yeah. you're working and, it's an incredible amount of stress on families. It, it's, it's a very, very tough thing. And I just saw, as you were talking about that, Virginia just issued a stay-at-home order. Virginia's governor just issued a new stay-at-home order that is effective immediately through June 10th, 2020. June 10th? That's right. Wow. This is from Virginia Governor Ralph Northam, issued stay-at-home executive order. Uh, for the state as the battle to stop the spread of coronavirus continues takes place effective immediately and will remain in place until june 10th 2020 unless amended or rescinded by a further executive order according to to governor northam wow well that's so. one way of doing it i mean i think you could probably have you know started connecting the dots that that seemed like the way it was going to go um and that more and more will get there but i think dewine's approach of you know slowly putting these stresses on versus hammering you over the head I I, I I prefer the way he's handling it to at least it builds up to something you know yeah it's it is something it's yeah 
Wow, when you see that, you're just like, man, because, you know, you keep hoping for some good news, and there is a lot of good news. And like we said, we put yeah. it together. You know, we believe in science, and we thank all of our doctors and everybody in the medical field who is doing everything that they can um, to, to get this done. And, and I give Mike DeWine a lot of credit. He's really taken charge in this and I think represented our state very, very well and been really kind of the leader for other states that have followed suit and in flattening this curve. And so we yeah. have to be very, very thankful to him for everything he's done. Everybody, you know, we have our affiliation with UH for everything that UH has done in this community and, and all the great work that everybody's doing at all the hospitals, regardless of affiliation around, because without those, those people are the ones, you know, on the front lines. And I think I saw a stat yesterday that said somewhere between 25 and 33% of all the known COVID cases are healthcare workers. Um, yeah. And, and so these people are going, putting themselves at extreme risk to try to help all of us and and you know they're they're certainly they're heroes yeah yes yes they are um let's have a little fun here in the last four or five minutes um i saw this running around on twitter i'm gonna have you i'm gonna have you uh not give much thought but give some uh, some of these will be easy answers for you uh and this one had to do Please with tell me, stadiums is it from the ringer is it from the ringer no no no, no. Oh, we'll get to that okay. we have more we, that deserves more than four minutes this is a quickie <laughs> okay uh your first stadium that i ever went to yep had to be oakland alameda county coliseum there you go. There you go. Uh, Washington Grizzly Stadium for me in uh, Missoula, Montana, home of the University of Montana, Washington Grizzly. Last stadium you were in. Oh, boy. Uh, Last game of this year would have been Cincy, Cincinnati. right? Or did you yep, go to that's a... what I was trying to think, Cincinnati. Yeah. Yeah. Paul yep. Brown Stadium. Paul Brown, yep. Last one for me would have been First Energy. Would okay. have been the last one. Last one for me that I was in. Um, best stadium. That's a tricky one because you go a lot of ways here. Can I break it into indoor and outdoor? Uh, yeah, sure. We got a little bit. We got a little bit of time. All go right, ahead. So my my favorite my favorite outdoor stadium that I've been to in terms of just total atmosphere, feeling, vibe, everything so far is Seattle. I, I thought that stadium would lived up to the hype. I got pelted with Skittles. It was legit. <laughs> it was right. sensational. I thought that was great. Indoor, I haven't gotten to see the new Atlanta and I haven't gotten to see the new Minnesota. Everybody yep. everybody Minnesota's says amazing. Minnesota is the best stadium in the Crazy. country. So yep. Uh, for me, from the ones that I have been to, though, I'll always be partial because it happens to be located in uh, Arizona. I'll go with with uh, the Cardinal Stadium. Okay. You like that better than Dallas and Indy? So I've been to Dallas, but not inside that stadium yet. That's okay. one that I have to cross off of my list. Um, I've been outside of it, never been inside of it. And, I yes, yeah. I like Arizona much better than Indy. Arizona's spectacular. Yeah, I've been really to both. Great. I like we Indy better there. than – It was great. I like Indy's stadium better than, than Arizona's. Um, the, for me, it'd be the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl is mm. if you, if you, if you were to like, if God were to decide to like play football in heaven, it'd be played at the Rose Bowl <laughs> with the sun coming down on the San Gabriels. The weather's always perfect. The grass is like Augusta. Uh, it's just this classic football bowl. Yeah. It's just a spectacular. And this, the, the color on it is flawless. I mean, the color is always flawless. I love how they paint the end zones down the sidelines in the Rose Bowl game of the two teams, like they always get the end zones perfectly painted. It's just the, it's the perfect place. When you walk on the field, it's so soft. It almost feels like if you got hit on the on the turf, it wouldn't even hurt. It's so soft. Um, beautiful. So, so yeah, so that would be my that would be my best my best stadium. Uh, what's your worst stadium? Paul Brown Stadium. Terrible. Is the answer, prior to it? that, prior to that, it was when the Chargers were still in San Diego at 
whatever the name of that Qualcomm, that place was horrific. <laughs> the the correct answer I'm with you is is Paul Brown. It's so sterile from it just there's so much concrete. Um, from a college standpoint, from a non professional sports con uh, concept, and it's gotten better I'm told lately. But there are a few places, and I don't know if it's just the time of the year that you play that game or what. But there are a few places that are worse uh, than Champaign. Uh, Illinois' home stadium, Memorial Stadium. Okay. It's got some cool history to it with the pillars and the statues of Grange and Butkus and all that. But it is, it's just something about that location. There's like corn silos right there, and it's always cold, and it's raining sleet sideways. But I think I've heard they've done some improvements to it, but the last time I was there, it was it, pretty dreadful. It needs a Jeff George statue, and then maybe we can, it can be in the discussion. It needs a Deke. Deke. Give it a well, Deke, Deke statue. You're going to hand out statues. Jeff George one right away. Well, of course he would. Of course yeah. he would. All right, we're back tomorrow with more fun, everybody. Uh, the next level coming up next. CBD, 850 ESPN Cleveland. You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and ESPN 850 WKNR.